the Stones of Strength podcast, an audio platform upon which we will endeavor to centralize and showcase stories and information related to the lifting of historical and non-historical stones and the ongoing development and re-emergence of stone lifting culture. Welcome to episode three of the Stones of Strength podcast. We've got an excellent episode today with a fantastic guest. I think everyone's really going to like it. Before we get on with our guests, though, we've got a couple of things we want to touch on. Been seeing a lot of stone lifting events going on lately, which is a lot of fun to check out. Carroll County had their Stones of Strength competition. Jamie Gorian had the second event of the McGregor Stone Lifting Games. I believe this is part two. Coburg also had a Stones of Strength competition. That was through the International Highland Games. And it's been really neat to see all of these. Stone lifting is a fantastic thing, but it's sometimes often a solitary pursuit. Uh, you're never in a gym with people. Often you're in your garage or in the bush by yourself. And without a question, that's, that's a huge draw to this. And I think most people would agree with it. But at the same time, when you actually get a bunch of like-minded people together and have a big event like that, it's, it's a really neat opportunity to lift together and just have a lot of fun. So it's been really neat watching these events. Uh, as well in Edmonton here, for anybody in Canada or in Alberta that's looking to get involved in our second gathering, it will be held September 9th and we'll be putting out the registration pretty quick here. The spots fill up very quickly. So if you're interested, keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, and people can find more info on that uh, on the Edmonton Stones of Strength Instagram page. There seems to be a bit of a buzz around the Stonelington community. There's just so many amazing things happening. There's all these events. There's so many documentaries that are sort of on on um, on their way. One of which is being done by by a company called Maximum Iron. So they are working on a documentary called Stones: The Rise, Fall, and Rise Again of Scottish Stonelifting. And my understanding is that's going to be out sometime next year. But in the meantime, they've also advertised that they're about to put out a stone lifting magazine, which is going to be amazing. Uh, you know, an entire magazine dedicated to our fairly niche but but uh, wonderful hobby of, of or passion of stone lifting. And they've indicated that if you want uh, a chance to have a, a picture of yourself lifting a stone um, published in, in, in one of their uh, editions of the magazine, tag them in, in your stone lifting photos. So that would be tagging at Maximum Iron, all one word, in your stone lifting photos on Instagram for a chance for them to be featured in a magazine. On the note of all these stone lifting events that have been happening, if you're an athlete or an event promoter and you want us to give a shout out, let us, let us know. We don't have a massive audience yet. It is growing quickly and we're very proud of that. But whether it's through Instagram or through the podcast itself, if you want, if you want your event to be heard about, let us know. We'll do our best. Yeah, we've been receiving a lot of support from the community, so we welcome the opportunity for us to be able to pay that forward. So, as Dave mentioned, our our episode today is is awesome. We have an incredibly uh, interesting and, and passionate uh, stone lifter, um, but I'd say you know calling him an interesting and passionate stone lifter is um, is selling him incredibly short. This gentleman is a true Renaissance man. He's a He's an artist, he's a musician, he's a stone sleuth, he's a cultural historian, um, he's a kettlebell world record holder, he's a health and fitness advocate, and we are very, very fortunate that not only did he give us his time to come on and share a lot of his amazing uh, encounters and, and, and stories and adventures with us, but we also get to benefit of being able to, to watch these by way of, of Instagram as he travels around Ireland and really sort of pulls the curtain back on what was a previously unknown but incredibly vast and rich history of, of stone lifting in Ireland. Coming up over the next couple of days, if you're catching this episode right when it's released, he'll be embarking on a nationwide stone tour with Sean Urquhart to go and revisit some of these stones of strength. And, and we, wish, we wish both of those gentlemen 
the best of luck. And specifically, we're wishing David the best of luck when he goes back uh, to go toe-to-toe with the first stone that he had, uh, or historical stone that he had recovered, being the Inishmore Stone. He, as you'll hear in the, on the episode, he didn't, uh, you know, being new to stone lifting, when he first encountered the stone, he wasn't quite able to get a successful lift, but he has very, very clearly been putting in the work, and uh, we know he's got it in him this time. So, without further ado, our guest, David Cohen. All right, here we are with David Cohen. David, thank you so much for setting aside some time to join us. We're really excited to have this chat. <laughs> Thanks so for having me on. We're looking forward to it myself. Yeah, I know. This is great. I mean... I personally became aware of your work after coming back from Scotland last year and really sort of that I had already been bitten by the bug of stone lifting, but going to Scotland and traveling and lifting the stones with David and having my parents there, that was when I, I knew like, this is something that I want to do more of. I want to engross myself in stone lifting culture, get to sort of know more of the members of the community. And I, I stumbled on your page and immediately I just, I was like, what you're doing, what you do, what you were doing, what you continue to do is incredible. And I just, you know, selfishly, when we started this podcast, David and I had talked about, you know, there's so many people in the stone lifting community that we would love to just get an opportunity to chat with. Um, but it would be kind of creepy if we were to just reach out and say, hey, you don't know us from a hole in the wall. Can we time <laughs> to chat and pick your brain about some of your stone lifting adventures? So we figured, well, let's do it. Let's let's be creepy, but under the guise of a podcast. And so you're one of the people. Sneaky, lads. I like it, though. Yeah, you're one of the people that are at the very front of our list. So th- thanks again for setting aside time. Well, why don't we get started? Just, just... Sorry, go ahead. No, come on. Go on. Work away. Yeah, yeah work away. I was going to say, why don't you introduce yourself, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what your background and strength is before we actually dive into all the aspect of stone lifting. Sure. Well, um, my name is David Keown. And I've been researching and looking for uh, the culture of stonelifting in Ireland over these past uh, two two years now. Um, before that, it was very there was very little known about stonelifting in Ireland. Um, the culture was very deep uh, due to a lot of things happening um, in like the late eighteen hundreds to do with like, like colonization and the repression of, of Irish culture. But um, I knew the stones were there. It was just a matter of just going searching for them. And how I got into stonelifting in, in, to start off with was, I initially, when I first got into to health and fitness, I was um, 32 years old. Before that, I was just into music and art and drinking and smoking and everything <laughs> with it through my 20s, you know? So I didn't do any, uh, I have no fitness or strength background at all um, until at the age of about 31 when I um, was in a really bad place mentally and physically and I started running. So I could only run about 100 yards, 150 yards the first time I went running. That turned to, after about three or four months of just keeping going, about 5K, which went up to 10K, which six months later went to a marathon. So my background would be more endurance-based. And um, From there, I got into a little-known, crazy Russian sport called kettlebell sport, which is strength endurance. Um, it's probably more like uh, Olympic rowing. So you're, you're, you're clean and jerking two kettlebells for time, and you can't put them down. So it's very, very attritional. Um, on the cardio side, again, strength endurance as opposed to just pure strength. But I'm delighted that I got to represent my country in that, and I got to win national, European, and world titles at amateur level. Um, I got to live professionally for my country, which is something I'm very, very proud of. Got my master of sports rank in 2018 and set a world record in 2019. So from then, I was like, right, I got this really, really good strength endurance background. I only weighed about 78 kilos. Um, I think like, you know, it was like marathon weightlifting for all the world, you know? Yeah. So COVID struck hard over here, and they took it very seriously over here. So 
everything got shut down, everything, like there was a 5k lockdown, everything was locked, you couldn't go anywhere, I couldn't go to the gym, so what I had out the back was my wife's um, beautiful stone carving, she was in an art college, which I picked up and weighed at 60 kilos and started chucking that all over the garden and, and hopping holes in the back garden, and uh, I got really interested in the actual functionality of, of lifting a stone, I was like, this is actually really cool, you know, that's, that started me off, I was like, this is a really cool movement, it feels primal, it feels like you know, it's touched something kind of deep inside. So I took that further and I started lifting on my local beach called Benvoy Beach, which is beautiful, UNESCO World Heritage Site, so about 20 minutes away from me here. And I have these beautiful stones down there that I named and weighed and got lifting them. And then, like, I'm sure everybody in this podcast is going to say, what did I watch? Stoneland. I watched um, Full Sturker. And I watched uh, the Levantadores made by Rogue Fitness. Those are and incredible. really, really, sto- oh, they were incredible. I mean, incredible. And what really stuck with me was there was a stone in Scotland called the Fianna Stone, or they called the Fianna Stone. So, I mean, I was raised as an Irishman on stories of Fionn McCool and the Fianna. I mean, this was taught to us in school. This is part of our culture. This is part of our, like, our lore, you know? So I heard that there was a Fianna Stone in Glen Lyon in Scotland. It's like, it's like saying to a Norse man, Tar's hammer is sitting in a field in Trondheim, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's there, go pick it up. I was like, are you fucking telling me that there's a, a stone that Fionn McCool and Fina are, are, are attributed to lifting? Like, this was part of our, our, our nation. You know, this Fionn McCool is a hero in Ireland. You know, he's an absolute hero. So I made it my business to go and lift the, um, the Fina stone, which was just an, an incredible experience for me as, um, as a Celtic man, you know, to go get in touch with my ancestral warrior past, you know, this is part of who we are, you know, the Fianna were Scottish-Irish, you know, so it's like, it, it was just amazing to do that, and I, I'll never ever forget it as long as I lived, it was probably one of the most, still to this day, one of the coolest things I've ever done, and that really started off my journey then into exploring Irish lifting stones, which I'll get into if I can give you guys a word edgeways, because I'll just talk on. <laughs> All right. Oh, no. <laughs> was, sorry, was the Fianna your first historical stone you'd ever lifted? No, um, I went over, I, I, I phoned, I mean, and, and first of all, I'm going to thank both Jamie Garian and, and Martin Jancis because I was only starting my stone lifting journey. These guys are two, two powerhouses of the sport, you know, and I just got in contact with them um, and said, look, I'm thinking of coming over and doing the, the Scottish lifting stones. And Jamie gave up a full day in Scotland. He, he met me on the Saturday. We went over in a campervan with two of my friends and he met us and took us around. We done 14 lifting stones on the Saturday. We done the Pewter Rock Stone, we done uh, the Monocle Stone, we done all the Sheriff Muir Stones, we done the um, the Court, we done the Fina Last, we done the Art Varlick, we done uh, and the McGregor. So we done like a, a heap of stones on the mm-hmm. Saturday. But because Jamie knew where everything was, we just sat into his car and he just took us to all these places. He'd all the people warned that we were coming, so there was no problem getting in anywhere. So he just took us to all these places, gave us all the history. It was just a great day out, you know, it was a great day out. And then the next day, Martin Jancis, again, gave up his Sunday to meet me and lift up a Ravenstone with him, you know. So we lifted on the way up, we lifted, like, because you're going up the one the one highway, we lifted, like, the Newtown Moor, we lifted um, the Dalwini, and then we went and we lifted the Bravens. So it was, like, 16 stones in about 24 hours, which was pretty intense. But um, it was just that really, the grow, like, the, what we call the grow, the love for stone lifting was cemented in. So then I made it my business to start the search for, for um, traditional Irish lifting stones. And mm-hmm. little did I think I'd be here a year and a half later with 24 
two dozen found Jim. Oh, you're, not, uh, you're not one for easy into things. So from the couch to a marathon in six months and get a yeah. world record and then stone lifting over to Scotland, yeah. lifting, you know, almost two dozen stones in your first tour. Yeah, it was, it's um, <laughs> looking back on it, because I don't usually look back that much as I keep looking forward. So looking back, it's been a pretty insane 10 years, all right, you know, from not being able to, to barely get off my couch to um, to all of this, you know, it's just been incredible, you know, and it's been a, it's the second bite of the cherry, and I'm so thankful that I've had the opportunity to do this, you know, so that's why I'm not wasting any time, you know what I mean? I, I wasted all my, my well, I say wasted, but I mean, my 20s went by in a bit of a blur. So then I'm like, I'm getting the second bite of the cherry, so let's let's just keep going, let's do it, you know, let's keep powering forward, you know? Yeah, you're certainly doing that. That's yeah, amazing. And, and those two guys that you you had named in Scotland, Martin and Jamie, they're just such gentlemen. I didn't have the opportunity to meet them when we were down. They were, we were chatting with Jamie, but it was the weekend that they had, I believe, was Britain's Strongest Man. Uh, and so yes. we, we didn't have a chance to meet up with them, but just texting them with the whole time we're down there. And they're just such gentlemen and such great advocates for – the history of it and the, and the love of it. So those are like really outstanding men. And I'd love to meet them. I couldn't be more thankful to the lads. You know what I mean? Just to, to give up your time is not easy in this current, in the way things are. You know what I mean? We, we don't have much time off. So for them to take time out of our day, just to meet me, um, who had no, no background in this at all. But I mean, they were so giving of their time and all the information, the history it was just wonderful. You know, two great guys. I think it's pretty fair to say that you're pay, paying that forward now with the work that you're doing. So thank you for oh, that. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And anybody who ever wants to talk or meet up, I'm making my business. You know, yeah. the good thing about Ireland is it's fucking tiny. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can meet up anybody, you know, pretty much anywhere. You know, I mean, even though I'm at the bottom of Ireland, I'm right at the very, very end, you know. But I mean, to all these stones, I can get there and drive home on the same day and almost be back for lunchtime. You know, yeah. well, Ireland was pretty small. But I mean, for something that's so small, there's such a diverse range of, of stone lifting, of the actual way to lift the stones over here. It's 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 incredible what I've come across over this past year and a half. Yeah, well, I mean, let's let's jump into that because we've caught you at a pretty amazing time because you are preparing to go out on a stone tour and settle some unfinished business with the Innisport yes. stone, which was the first stone that you had recovered. Oh, oh, lads, um, do you know what? That that's. It almost feels, it was such a cool story, it almost feels like a film, you know, it, it feels surreal to find, you know, because, like, you know, I'm sure you know the whole scale, the whole story behind it, but I mean, for Limo Flaherty to have written the story called The Stone, you know, he wrote a story, a short story, a well-known short story, but a well-known writer, and he wrote the story called The Stone, about this, this old man lamenting, you know, his lost strength, and, you know, he's reminiscing about his, you know, his wonderful things that he's done in his youth, and lifting the stone was one of them, and... He went and he went to search for the stone and he found it again. And the way the writer talks about like setting up to lift the stone, the way he talks about it, the way it made him feel, the way he talks about how he how he lifted it and the strain. I mean, it's it's like you're there, you know. It's actually like you're there. So I was I, I was thinking to myself as I read that story, it was like that has to be real, you know. This can't just be fiction. Now all of his stories are are based because I mean, Limo Flaherty was born on Inishmore, which is one of the Aran Islands, and that's where the stone is. So it's like all his stories about the Iron Island life, they're beautiful. He's a wonderful writer. But it's like, wouldn't it be so cool if that was a real thing? So then, like, I got in contact with the likes of, well, I was reading through some of Peter Martin's work, and he said, yeah, that stone, that's meant to be a stone on the uh, the Iron Islands. And I was like, fuck, that's awesome. But the one that, re- the one that really kicked me off looking for it was uh, an old Reddit thread that Peter Martin was on. And this woman who lived on the island, Fiona was her name, just said, uh, 
there's a rough, there's a stone on a, on a rough boulder stream pathway in Gartner Coppel in Inishmore, which is just around the corner from where he lived, and said that that stone is still there, and that's the story that he wrote about. I was like, you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like that this is a real thing? So this is the very first stone of it that he could have found it. So I mean, myself and my friend then went off on the off on the ferry over the R9s. Like it's a four and a half hour drive from here, over on the ferry on this fucking awful day, wind and waves and battered by the sea, we get to the place, we get on a bike, it's a 25 minute cycle to get to the place because you can't have any cars on the island. And we get to this rough boulder stream pathway. And I was like, how am I gonna know which stone is the stone? Because the Aran Islands is just rock, it's just scraped clear. It's like a glacial karst landscape. Mm. It's just like glaciers just came scraped on the top side of us. It's just bare stone and boulders everywhere. It's just, it's like walking on the fucking surface of the moon. It's incredible. And so I was looking around, I was like, which one is the one? I mean, how am I gonna know what's the stone? But in the story, which I had with me, it was like, that it was in, it's a, it's a, it said the sunshine shone upon the parting as a mica in the surface of the stone. So I was thinking like mica, mica would be in granite because it's like a, it's an igneous stone. So it's like, right, okay, so it has to be a granite stone. So like, I saw this pink granite boulder sitting in this little fucking pathway by itself. And I said in the story that there was bruised stones all around it, like where people lifted up, put it back down again. And, and I was like, there it is. I was like, the fuck, that's it. That has to be it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, that's the fucking stone. That's the one that Nemo Flaherty wrote about. And I was like, I didn't know for sure, but like, you know, you could almost feel a tangible energy off the stone, you know? I couldn't believe it. But so I got a few lifts on it. And then Jamie Garion got wind of it. He's like, fuck, come on over. So a month later, we go back out again. And Jamie gets an incredible lift on it up to his chest, which I'd say he's the first man to do it probably in 100 to 150 years. He is so strong. You know, and I break the ground with it, just, you know, I'd get a kind of decent wind under. That's as much as I could manage the last time. But uh, we find the old, a, a man doing a walking tour, and he said, I asked him, I just bought it in, I said, look, that's, do you want me about the stone down there? Oh, yeah, he said, that's called the Moulin Port Vale on Dune. That's, that's the lifting stone of the area. I said, is it the pink one? Yeah, he said, that's the pink one down there, he said, in the little patch of grass. So I said, that's the Limo Flaherty stone he wrote about. There it is. You know, that's Ireland's first Lifting stone. I couldn't believe it. You know, I was then blown away that this this story is, you know, this piece of fiction is not fiction. It's based on reality. And there it is. You know, we actually have a lifting stone in Ireland now. And I was so proud that we had one. Stevie Shanks had me on his podcast because we found this stone, you know. And myself and Stevie were so proud that we had a stone on the old, um, old man of the stones map. You know, we had one, right? One stone off the coast. We had a stone, you know. And you can see, like, Iceland has just bloom of red dots of stones, and Scotland has its bloom of dots. And we had one, and was like, we're on the map, that's great. And remember Stevie asking me, he said, would you think there'd be many more? I said, jeez, imagine if there was 10. You know, I said, wouldn't that be incredible? Imagine if we could find, like, double figures of stones. And he was like, I hope we do, I hope we do. And then I just got bitten by the bug, lads. I just, I just kept going, you know? <laughs> That that story by Liam O'Flaherty, I I read that. Do you know who David Horn is? Are you familiar with that name? I am indeed. Yeah. Yes, he's a very very strong man. He's a strength historian and just such a gentleman. I I got to know David a little bit through steel bending, but he's also a big stone lifter and just a great guy. But he had shared that that short story of of the stone, and that was before we'd gone to Scotland and. The way that they describe that, like we've lived, we've lived a lot of stones here before that, but never anything with cultural context. And the way that that story is written yes. is like it's halfway between goosebumps and tears. Like when you read that story, it's it's yeah. extraordinary. And so that was my like I don't know I, the fact that you found that one is is really cool. And I think you Dale had done a little bit of looking into the geology side of 
of things for that. Yeah. So I'm unironically someone who loves lifting stones. I'm also a geologist by uh, by education, and so when I had seen some of your pictures of the Inishmore Stone, right, it, it just the stone looks so alien in that environment. You have this pink granite exactly. on just a, a pavement of limestone. The, the term is actually limestone pavement, the technical term for that landform. It's like you'd said, a karst feature. So it's been scraped by a glacier. Um, and then it has these erosional features where you have these fissures between these big rectangular limestone slabs. It looks like someone has set those out as, 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 as paving blocks. And um, so, and like, you know, if I'm going to get nerdy on everybody here. So that limestone was laid down at the bottom of the ocean about 340 mil million years ago. And the Aran Islands used to be attached to mainland Ireland. And it was during the last glaciation between 34,000 and 15,000 years ago that the British ice sheet scoured and eroded away what is now Galway Bay, which then subsequently filled up with water at the, at the termination of the Ice Age uh, when the mm. sea levels rose. But that, the Inishmore stone is a glacial erratic that was dropped there by the glaciation. And that's why it looks so foreign there, because it is foreign. It is probably from one of the mountain ranges in the northwest and brought there by the glacier. And it's actually, there, there's, it ties to a greater history too than just the fact that I would imagine that that stone was picked as the lifting stone because it was so unique in an area that looks just exactly. sort of gray and barren. There's this beautiful, shiny granite stone. Um, but if you see in the pictures that you have, have you, you noticed those sort of um, circular erosional depressions on the top of the stone? Yes. So it turns out that because the granite stones were so much harder than all the, the limestone they're surrounded by, the ancient peoples of the Aran Islands used to use them as bowls or mortars to crush up grains and shells or as... Mm. Um, as a, a font, a religious font that they would then use the water that's collecting them to, to bless themselves. So the history of that stone is incredible from a stone lifting perspective, but it goes far deeper to an ancient people that were using that for purposes, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, which is just so neat. I, I got into a geology rabbit hole and I just kept on <laughs> probably how you do with the stone finding. You just start peeling back these layers and it gets more and more oh. the deeper you go. So I just, just, just diving in here for us. Like that's all I've been doing, you know, and it's took up like so much of my time, but it's like it's it's a labor of love. I mean, I don't see it as taking up my time. I see it as like I can't wait to go out and do this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're at the the coal face of re bringing back a culture that was lost. I mean, it's it's such an honor, you know. And I can't believe that nobody's done it before, you know, because like these stories have been sitting there, they've been sitting there in um, the National Folklore Collection. I'm, I'm sure you guys know about that. Um, if you don't, I can give you a brief history on it. Want to explain it, maybe for the people that aren't familiar with it, that are listening? Sure. So what happened was back in 1937, 38 and 39, the, um, the Irish government put folklore on the curriculum for kids in sixth class. Like, so that's like 11, 12-year-olds. And said, go back to your parents and grandparents and ask them about the traditions of your area where you live. Anything. So they gave them a whole list of topics and anything from like, um, like banshees and leprechauns and mermaids to, you know, say fighting that happened in the area, to local heroes. And the local heroes was anyone who was, like, say, uh, done something spectacular in the area. So, like, a strong man lifted something, or somebody's a noted dancer, or singer, or versifier, or poet, or shanaki, or storyteller. But um, they went back, and you think about it, like, there's, there could be, like, a couple of hundreds, maybe even thousands of schools in Ireland. Every single school that had hundreds and hundreds of stories they were all brought together, collated, sent to Dublin, and the whole folklore of the nation was collected in three years. You know, 
And that's all up in the NFC, the National Folklore Collection up in Dublin, up in UCD College, which I've been up to, which is incredible. But I mean, all those stories are there, you know? And like those stories are going back, say, like some of the grandparents back in the 1930s, they could be talking about stones or stories from the 1850s. And some of the stories I found went back in even another 100 years again, you know? So all these stories were sitting there in the National Folklore Collection, just waiting for somebody to go searching for them, you know? So, I mean, I remember reading up before I went over to the Iron Islands, I remember reading about Dr. Connor Heffern, who's been an absolute legend over the past 12 months, probably the best hype man in the world. He's been bigging me up to everybody. He's been talking to Jan Todd. He's been talking to everybody you can imagine. He's on it. The bar, the, uh, the bar band guys. He's been talking to fucking Iron Culture. He's been on to everybody and saying, look, look what this fucking lunatic is doing. He's bringing back this culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's driving through fucking fields. He's slashing through hedges. And he's just bringing this shit back, you know? And it's like, um, he's been incredible. And he was talking about that these stones were there. He had, like, he had a whole beautiful load of pieces written about them, about like the Lima Flaherty one on that. But he said, they're there, but they're very hard to find because they're at generic names. Like, you know, it's in a town now, but it's at, at crossroads. Like, you know, a kid is going to write, it's just at the crossroads and they'll think everybody knows what the fuck they're talking about because they're from the area. Yeah. But you know, I mean, of course you don't. But it's at a crossroads or lifted over a wall or in a graveyard. So, they are very, very generic. So, I mean, what, what, what I find is with Ireland is, and what I've been doing is just going to the townland. And, like, we're an oral culture. We always were. Mm-hmm. We love to talk, as you can probably gather. We love to listen. We love to get stories. And we're really fucking nosy and curious about somebody doing something out of the ordinary. Yeah. You know, so I go to a townland and I'll, I'll have an idea, maybe someone to ask. So I might be in contact maybe with a local heritage or archaeology group and I'll meet somebody. And I'll ask them about a certain story, you know. And if they don't know, they'll take it to someone who does know. So you say, look, I don't really know a lot about it, but there's a man living down in a farmyard there. He's 90 years old. Go down and knock on his door and tell him, I sent you, and what the story is about. And then you're knocking on someone's door. You're going in and you start to chat. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about it maybe in 50 years, but it is there all right or it should still be there. Come in, should we have a cup of tea? And you're sitting at someone's table having a cup of tea and they're telling you, they're opening up about all these beautiful reminiscences and, and stories about this stone and about the, maybe the person who lifted it. And then they're like, ah, sure, hop in the tractor or hop in the car and I'll take you up. And then they're driving you to the fucking place. And then you're going in, you're seeing these stones. You know, that's it could have been sitting there like 100 years. You know, it could have been sitting there like 50 years, 70 years, and nobody has touched it. And all of a sudden you're there and you're like, that's it. You know, that's the stone of, of whatever, you know, and, and it's there. And then you're, like, you're putting it back on the map. I mean, some of them aren't that easy. Some of them I have to go hacking and slashing through hedges and, and there's nobody who knows about it. So I just have to kind of trust that might be in a place like the Flag of Ten being, being probably the, the best instance of that. I'll talk to you about that in a minute. But yeah, it's been some adventure, lads. And what, what, for me, it's been about meeting the people. It's the people, the Irish people, you know, the stories, the storytellers, the way they tell tell you about who lifted it before and how helpful everybody has been. I mean, I've met nobody yet who's who told me to, to F off or, or what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. Everybody is interested because, I mean, it's part of their local lore. You know, it's part of your local place, you know, and they're proud of being from there. And then, you know, consequently, they're proud that something like this is from there. So it's just been wonderful. I, I think, too, like that, the Irish Folklore Commission's initiative that you had outlined, 
was brilliant from so many angles. Number one, it was to be able to amalgamate all of the stories from these small villages and parishes into a centralized database, which has now been um, put online by the University of College Dublin. I believe it's Dukas. Is it IE? That's right, Dukas. D-U-C-H-A-S. Yeah, Dukas yeah. is Irish for birthright. But there's also the secondary effect that maybe not as intended, but equally as important is that by doing that and, and tasking these children with with the goal of bringing forth these stories, you create an entirely new generation of people equipped with this rich oral history that then go back, talk to their friends, can pass it on to their children, their grandchildren, and disseminate exactly. through the community, which is why when you go to some of these places, you can knock on a door and people have knowledge of these local things because these have just sort of been you know, passed down through generations and generations. And, I, and I'm sure there was a big resurgence in that ownership and, and that information of these local stories through that initiative. So, Oh, lads, the, the pride. I mean, like I was up in Karna which is West Galloway, and I mean West, West Galloway. So right out on the coast. And I went up to this place to uh, found out about this one called Clucknarkeen, which is the stone of the cove. And I met the last man who lifted it. He lifted it maybe 40, 40 years ago. But the pride he had that somebody took an interest to come up and A, come all the way up from Waterford, which is like a good five-hour drive through shitty old mining country roads, you know, roads with the grass running down the middle of them, you know, yeah. and to come up to his area. And he, he only had to walk 100 yards down to see me. And he was so proud of that. Like, you know, he was telling all his friends and then all his friends were coming along, don't lift the stone yet. Don't, I want to tell all my friends. So all his friends were coming along and then all of a sudden, like the wives were coming out with flasks of tea and then the kids were coming out, the dogs were coming out. And then all of a sudden, like the local guard sergeant was coming out. He was telling his friends. So all of a sudden, like there's, there's 30 people standing there around the stone. And they're all telling stories about the last time it was lifted. And they're all talking about Hall, the last man who lifted it, you know. And Jesus, if you get wind under that, that'd be fantastic. There's nobody lifting that thing in, you know, 40 years. And then after about four or five attempts, because it's an absolutely massive. And all the Irish stones are absolutely yeah. massive. Yeah, they are, oh, my God, that's, they're huge. You know, I mean, they're absolutely, every single one of them. You know, it's like, will I ever get a halfway normal stone? <laughs> I get a jest. All these things are fucking massive. But like I got the window to that stone and they were all so happy. Everybody coming over giving you hugs, you know, shaking their hand, mocking fire, you know, well done. And they were just delighted. They were delighted that you're carrying on a tradition that might have been lost, you know. And that's what it is for me. It's you're carrying on something that in this kind of postmodernist weird world that we're in where, you know, everything is kind of refuting everything else online. And everything's going to get a little bit more homogenous and we're kind of losing the sense of who we are, that this these stones are there and these stories are there and they, they will be there now again. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm just doing so much about like writing books and stuff and putting it all up online. And, but it's like you're carrying on something that's uniquely Irish and it's a real honor to do it, you know? You touch on, I really like a, well, a lot of what you said there, but it was a podcast you've done, I believe Johnny Dillon. Is that, is that right? The oh, Johnny's just a, such a, yeah, such a good guy. He seems that way. And you guys touched on that in your, cause he's from the Irish Folklore Commission. Is that correct? That's right. He's an, he's an archivist. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that podcast was fantastic. I took so much out of it and I, I thought it was fascinating, but the concept of local heroes, I think is something that's been lost a little bit. And the story True. you were just told about you lifting that stone kind of epitomizes that because I just thought that that was really, really, really a cool, cool aspect of it. Of so much pride from just the area you're in and who had done what at what point in time is a really, really neat thing. And, and also in that podcast, I took away and just want to thank you again for your involvement in the Agali Stone that we 
Edmonton Stones of Strength because it was from that podcast that I had heard that story about Martin Rua and the (laughs) (laughs) what a story yeah Martin Rua and Henry Moore you know there was like something from the Wild West you know I mean what a fantastic story you know um that these guys like to settle an argument they went down to see who could lift a block of wood and I'm sure a block of wood was fairly fucking big they went down to lift a block of wood on the shore and said a man who could lift it to his knees, he was a good man, but a man who could lift it to his shoulder, he was called Far A. Gailey. And A. Gailey would be like a berserker or like a, just a man of like irrational strength, you know? So I just thought that was such a cool concept. You know what I mean? It was a really, really, really cool story. Yeah, and that's what... And I mean, what a lift from you guys. Jesus Christ, that lift was incredible on that snow. So congratulations, man. That was just amazing. 380 to shoulder, I figure, was reasonable for that uh, that title. So... Thank you for your I think so. That's insane strength. So much congratulations. Only thank you. Disputes were so easily settled, although now you would win every argument. So (laughs) (laughs) quite fair. So (laughs) well, that's awesome. You touched on the flag of den. That's another uh, that's another one that's absolutely fascinating because it's not a natural stone. It's clearly been, you know, modified and and has some significant um, historical significance because of its, its its purpose as sort of a stone of, of worship do you want to touch on the story yeah. and finding that stone because it's it's such a unique one i haven't seen anyone haven't seen one like it anywhere else in the world and i think um that it's it, it was amazing because i mean i, I was reading up about Ducas about the, the flag of 10 and there's about 15 stories about it so it was obviously a very very famous stone in the area but the, I went researching again this week about it, just to kind of tangent a little bit. And the stories about the area and the graveyard and the stone, I mean, it, it is film material. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like there's stories of giants who threw the stone, like Fionn McCool is meant to have thrown the stone from Shreve Glake, which is three kilometers away. Fionn McCool being the leader of the Fina. You know, you have um, a ghost carriage with four headless horses that pulls a carriage at nighttime around the graveyard. You have stories about a mermaid who was on the lake beside the graveyard. You have stories about in the famine that people used to exhume the bodies and eat the bodies in the graveyard because of famine, because they, they were so hungry. You have all of these unbelievable stories about it, you know, and it was used as a mass stone. So a mass stone was that back in the 16th and 17th century through penal law, we weren't allowed to practice Catholicism or speak Irish in Ireland. So they used to be saying mass in graveyards Um secretly mm. so they wouldn't get caught so it means like this story the, the history behind it is incredible you know it's absolutely amazing and there was also a story that if you turned the stone and cursed your neighbors like like a pagan cursing stone i mean you're going back maybe two thousand years with a pagan cursing stone you know so like these stories are amazing i gotta go seeking to find that stone so cavern is about three and a half hour drive from me so i get in the car and drive up and i get to the the church so like because the graveyard is non Google Maps, it's so old. So I get to the church, I'm rooting around the church, I can't find anything. I could find the new graveyard, not the old one. So I was looking around the fields and I was like, shit, where is this place? And all of this old man comes out of the church and I accost him. I said, Look, I'm sorry, I'm looking for um, the old graveyard in um, in off Grim. He's like, Oh, yeah, so it's about a mile down the road on the right. He said, There's two graveyards because the old one is on the right hand side. And he said, uh, But it's very overgrown. He said, I mean, It's wicked overgrown. He said, uh, that, you know, you can't even see the headstones in there. I said, what, what, what are you doing? You're going to cut the grass. I said, I'm not. I said, I'm looking for the flags. The flags are then. <laughs> I said, I'm looking for the flags are then. The flags are then. He said, Jesus, he said, I haven't heard of them in about 50 years. 
He said, um, but I've never seen one. He said, I've heard of them, but I've never seen one, you know. So he said, um, you'll do well to find it, he says, because it's just so overgrown. You know, the best of luck to you, but I can't see you find that in there. And I knew what he meant. So I drive down then and I get to the place, lads, and the, the weeds are like the height of the ceiling. They're eight feet tall. Like. So it's like, and you can't see anything. All you can see is overgrown brambles, briars, tall weeds, grasses, you know, I'm like, this is going to be fucking hard, you know? <laughs> so, I, in the back, because I mean, I wasn't expecting anything like this. I mean, I had a bill hook, like a long bill hook in the back of the car and a crowbar, you know? But I mean, if I knew I was coming to this, I'd be getting something mechanical. But I, I got up there anyway, and I start on the wrong side, where I should have started now. I know that now. I start on the right-hand side, and I started just hacking through this graveyard, right? So, and there with this bill hook, slashing through, I'm not joking, eight-foot fucking tall weeds, brambles, poking about, and I'm finding headstones. I'm finding brown sandstone headstones. But they're all, like, headstones. Right? they got names and dates on them. I'm like, okay. So, line by line, I go through the entire graveyard. There's a bit of an acre of a graveyard. Up and down. And they're, like, all sunken underfoot because of, like, sub, you know, subsuming with the, you know, the bodies and the graves. Mm-hmm. Everything's kind of like this, you know. So, like, it was just really, really hard work. Cutting, cutting, looking for hitting something, hitting a stone. No, that's not it. That's a headstone just up and down this thing. So after two and a half hours, I'm absolutely fucking wrecked, tired. I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck am I doing here? This is just the act of a madman. I'm in a fucking graveyard. I'm hacking that shit with a bill hook. I'm covered in blood up to my fucking elbows because of brambles. Mud, sweat, fucking stuff sticking to my face. I'm like, nah, it's time to get out of here. You know, you're, you're just a fucking lunatic. So I said, look, I'll try one more piece. There's only one more piece left. It's up in the top corner of the graveyard. So there's a big load of ivy there. So I'm just half-heartedly slashing at all this stuff again. And I get a clang. And then I pull back the bottom of the ivy. And I see the bottom of a carved cross. So I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. This could be it. So I pull back all the ivy off it. And it's just this big, beautiful, perfect flagstone with a carved perfectly carved or etched cross into the top of it and I'm like that's the fucking that's it that's the flag and then I'm excited I find a broken one and one of some of the stories around about like um, that some of the Protestants were brought up and they broke the flags of then because of you know whatever arguments they were having back in the day but there was one broken and there was one intact and the size of it lads I mean just to but just A to find it mm-hmm. and know that these stories were real you know, all of these stories, obviously, it means the stories about mermaids or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I mean, all of the stories about men lifting it, like a man called like Larry Highland of Banahoe, he lifted it. A man was meant to have picked it up and put it on his back and walked to the pub and got a whiskey and brought it back. There's another man that meant to walk it around the graveyard. And I looked at the stone and was like, my God, that thing is huge, you know, because it's it's about maybe three and a half to four feet long and about maybe three feet wide. And it's about oh. like eight to ten inches thick. It's huge. You know, I mean, it's really, really big. So like, how in the name of God did somebody pick this up? Because I could flip it up and I could flip it over, mm-hmm. you know, and flip it around. But I couldn't, like, I, I couldn't even dream of, of of lifting it up. Maybe now a year later, with a, like a, a lot of strength training behind me, I could maybe try and leverage lift that thing up. But yeah. the story behind it, the stone itself, the finding of it, felt like something from fucking Indiana Jones. Yeah, and it was just the most amazing thing, you know, it really was, and, and it's there now for people to see it and. It's like that stone, there's so many stories attached to that stone. I think it probably should be in a museum. Mm-hmm. It's got so much history attached to it, you know, from pagan times about the cursing stones through to it being an altar stone 
because we were in, in the oppression from the British. And then you have all of the history and mythology around it. It's just amazing, you know? It's kind of the crossover, though, between the, um, you know, the mythical and the reality side of things. Is that fair to say? Exactly. I mean, sure, it's Ireland. You know, that's, that's what we are, you know? Sure. We're, we're kind of a bridge, I think, between mythology and reality over here. And the more I'm, I'm researching to these stones and the more people I'm meeting and the stories are telling me, the more I believe it, you know? I mean, yeah. there's still a bit of magic left in this world, you know, and we're, we're unrooting it bit by bit. Like, it's it's just fantastic. Just the existence of that stone, the fact that even you're, like you're saying, one is broken and one isn't, which, you know, is similar to what the stories had said, means that maybe there's a truth to to some of some of the stories, right? Maybe not sticking exactly. on your back and walk into the pub, but someone very likely lifted it and was witnessed by somebody else. Like the existence of exactly proves truth to some of the stories. So they do. I mean, again, that's all we have to go off. I mean, obviously, there's nothing noted, and we can't ever record. It was too far back to be no such thing as recording equipment. But I mean, somebody remembered that story enough that they told it to their kids, who then told it to this child. You know what I mean? Mm. So there's obviously somebody done something with it, you know, and they have the names of the people who done it, you know. Of course, like this is Ireland, we never let the truth get in the way of a good story, you know. Yeah. We fucking love telling stories. That's, that's who we are. But what if there's always a kernel of truth in all these, you know? There's always a kernel of truth. How how far do you think the nearest pub is from the graveyard? I, I, it's well closed now. I mean, I'd say I, I was told it was 100 perches, which I think is about a meter, two meters, so probably about 100 meters. You know, maybe around 100 meters. You're always looking you know? for the next challenge. So I figure <laughs> you Right, the open challenge is there. As anyone wants to come and give it a go, oh, I put a bottle of whiskey 100 yards away and give it a lash. There you go, yeah. Is that yeah. one that Sean Urquhart will be going to, do you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Who's um, got a chance? Sean's coming over. I'm really excited about this yeah. because like, I mean, it's this is probably the first Irish Stone Tour ever, you know, ever. So, um and like what a guy to start off with, Sean is just incredible. He's a great athlete, he's a very fucking strong guy, and he's a lot of respect for all these these stones, you know. So we're starting next Thursday. Oh man, that's awesome. we're gonna do pretty much yeah. fucking yeah. everything, you know? Yeah. We're gonna go for all of them. I mean and the thing is, I don't think there's a stone tour like it in the world because all of the stones are just so fucking big. I know I've said it already, but they're massive mm-hmm. stones. Yeah. You know, I mean, everyone I've gone to you're probably talking average 170, you know? Oh, man. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm breaking ground relatively comfortably with 180 now, you know, 185. And a lot of these stones, I can't budge them, but I can just look at the wind under them. I mean, they have to be up around 170, you know? I haven't weighed them all, but they're just massive. Well, what seems to be the tradition here is it's like a feat of strength by the strongest man in the village. Yeah. So the strongest man at the time, mm-hmm. to show his strength, picked up that stone. So, like, the great challenge is, are you as strong as the strongest man in maybe not only the parish, but the surrounding areas That's right, yeah. of 150 to 200 years ago, you know? It's a wonderful challenge. It's very humbling as well, because these guys were doing this without fucking periodized strength training. That's you know, right. They were doing yeah. this Nutrition without fucking working everything. with gym. Yeah. You know, they were just, this is just born from their day-to-day work, yeah. you know? That's so, they were strong enough in their work to do that. Yeah. Well, that's it. We have a bit of a recency bias with strength where we think, we, you know, we are the strongest people that have ever lived. But like, if you look at some of these, I believe a lot of what are these older stories, maybe some people don't and there's specific ones that, that you wouldn't. But these guys, they were basically the masters of submaximal training because they would just yeah. be working all day. And you know what? If, if you ask me who I would want on my side, is it the guy that works out in the gym 10 hours a week or the guy that works with his hand in a field 10 hours a day? I'm picking the guy that works in the field 10 hours a day. 
But you know, if you if you play sports, when I played a little bit of uh, sports in school and stuff, and you always know what the farmer's son is, you know, if you're playing whatever contact sport, you know, it's the, this young lad has been working since he's been able to walk. He's been picking stuff up. He's been helping out in the farm. He's been moving, lifting, shifting, pulling and dragging his whole life. And he's consequently, he's just as strong as a fucking ox, you know. And these are the guys I always find who are the strongest, you know, these these farmers, fishermen, you know, stonemasons. And these are the guys I'm meeting on the way. I met a stonemason up on my last trip to Canada before this one, um, a guy called um, called Martin Tim. And Martin Tim was the strongest man. He's 81 years old now. And he was the strongest man in the area pretty much back in the day. And I met this guy and he shook my hand and I thought he was going to break my fucking wrists. You know what I mean? The guy was, he's a, you know, just huge hands, solid, 81 years old and still be as strong as he is. He's still working in the stone base. He's still working in the stone quarry, you know? An absolute tank. And like these guys, like that was their job. Yeah. You know, meeting the lads in the Iron Islands. I met, met the lads in Inish Man, the stonemasons over there. And like I said, all they just work pulling and dragging stone like, all day, every day. You know what I mean? No break. So you're just lifting stone all day. You know I mean? right? It's not like us where we have the privilege to be able to work out in our spare time because we work other careers. That was their career. Exactly. Their, their ability is to provide for their family depended upon their physical strength. So... That was it. You know, it's more, it's definitely more of a cut and dry time. I mean, I think Levantadores is a beautiful um, yeah. expression of that as well, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. absolutely. So, yeah. It's, there, so this is um, something I wanted to talk to you about because uh, something that always comes up with, especially what you're doing there, is the, 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 the concept of stones always being around graveyards or on coffin roads, yeah. right in with funeral games. And thought maybe we could chat a little bit about that because that's something that's also mirrored a bit in the the Gaelic stonelifting in Scotland. And so, that's true. I yeah, just you wouldn't mind touching on that because it seems to be a common thread amongst uh, Celtic and Gaelic stonelifting. Yeah, um, it's something that seemed to have just died out back in the they say the mid eighteen hundreds, but before that, and this is just from from talking to uh, the likes of um, Johnny Dillon and to uh, to, to Dr. Connor Heffern and stuff. We were talking about this, and we're like, yeah, funeral games was was a thing. So like a funeral seemed to have lasted maybe three or four days. So you had, you had like the wake, and then you had the day before the funeral, then the burying, and then the day after. So there were three or four day events, and especially with somebody who was very popular, the whole parish would get together. You know, maybe who wouldn't ever get together, only on occasions like this. You know, so at these, the younger men to pass the time. You know, maybe they might have known the man too well, but the younger men to pass the time in Scotland, like seemed to like they tossing the caber and putting the stone. And over here, it was the same idea. It was lifting heavy stones, and there was a like, collar and elbow wrestling. There was a uh, horse racing. There was, you know, running racing. It seemed to be more like an event, a celebration almost, you know, of of um of virility, maybe of life. Maybe it's because of the total opposite of death, you know. But um, these funeral games were were very very popular back in the day, and whoever like you know performed well at them got huge social status from it, you know. So you were the guy who lifted the best or lifted the highest on the day. You know, you got very well, well regarded back in these kind of said, more simpler times. So these funeral games, so like all these stones, like I said, probably 75% of the stones I'm finding are in these old graveyards because they were part of these funeral games, these 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 fates that they had um, at, at these important people's funerals. And just just finding these stones and it's just seeing like those, those the one down in Faha, down in County Clare, where I found the woman's lifting stone as well as the man's lifting stone mm. was a real revelation. I mean, and Connor really um, was fascinated by this, that it was a specific female lifting stone. Like, you know, you had the man's lifting stone, you had the, the clock and the fur, and you had the female's lifting stone, the clock and the man. 
and there was a dedicated strength process for the women as well. You know, so yeah, the horse the strongest woman of the day was the strongest man of the day. So like that was just fascinating to me as well that there was, and that's not the only one was different. So I found another three since, but it's it's amazing because it's such so generally such a, um, a masculine thing mm-hmm. that it was just great to have it, the the female strength kind of lauded as well. You know, and they got obviously social status and respect for that too. Wow. I was uh, doing a little research on some of Peter Martin's work, and I'm just going to read something here because I think this ties into it. And it's on the please, yeah, on the note of coffin roads because there's a lot of stones that come up on on coffin roads. Um, yeah. So just a couple. This is from uh, Twix the Stone and Turf by Peter Martin. He says, "Getting to the cemetery is where strength culture applies itself. The road or track to the cemetery from a township could span many miles over rough terrain, and these tracks, known as coffin roads, were used every Sunday to get to worship." The length of these tracks could span many miles, and every now and again, when for used for funeral purposes, the deceased coffin would be placed in either a flat plinth or a rock flattened by the cairn. These are known as coffin mm. spots. So this is one, the first aspect of it, but this is what I thought was really neat here. It says, um, this a, there's a substantial number of lifting stones that exist on these ancient tracks, and they cannot be underemphasized. These tracks, amounting to many hundreds in the highlands and islands, many of which have yet to be properly explored are indeed the future of any future research on Gaelic strength. Put quite simply, if there is such a track that exists along its length, there will be a place where lifting stone exists. And that it goes even deeper here, which is, it says that another element of funeral culture of note is, uh, is the note of carrying a coffin. Again, Gaelic belief systems emphasize that no man should be at the ass of an animal and hence a true Highland funeral does not involve a horse or here. So what this basically says is that the whole aspect of the funeral procession is a display of strength because you would have to carry it, the coffin, because you would not want your dead friend or relative behind the ass of an animal. So not yeah. only were you carrying the coffin, but along those whole routes, there were stones for you to lift. So it's, and so this is in Scotland, but this is a Gaelic tradition. And so I would have to imagine Definitely. it's very similar to what you might've had over in Ireland. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I found out a lot of coffin roads over here. And I suppose that makes sense because in Scotland, like you have the highlands, again, they're like, they're very, very bare and rocky, you know, that you'd have a coffin road because you couldn't, there might be only one patch of grass or one, one place that you can bury a body mm-hmm. within maybe five or 10 miles. You know, it's the same way on the, um, on the Iron Islands. They did all these coffin roads and up the west, Connemara, the Bourne, where it's just like the ground is just rock, that you'd have to travel a long distance with the body to get it to an area that you could actually bury it because there's no, because the, the, the ground is too shallow. You know, you can't, or you're just hitting bedrock within, you know, a foot or two feet. So yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. You find it fascinating. Just every aspect of their life was a, was a test and an opportunity to display your strength. So you could see how your social status would be directly tied into everything you did. If you were strong. Oh yeah. I mean, like the, the one on, on the Iron Islands, like I said, the, the, the first one I found, um, the the graveyard stone, which is a hundred and it was about one hundred sixty, one hundred sixty five kilos. The true test of the island was to lift that stone onto the wall, the graveyard wall, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I was talking to somebody like as I was lifting the stone, there was men just walking over across the fields. They could see him doing now. They're just the word got out that this guy is lifting the stones. So there was men just coming from everywhere. You see him just walking across fields and appearing over walls, and they were just coming. And you know, you're lifting the stone, but I said I'll try my best. And, they were like, uh, then they were telling all their stories about, one guy said that my granddad was the last man to lift this stone. This old, old man came out with a cane. I mean, this guy, it took him about fucking 20 minutes to walk about 200 yards, <laughs> but he made the fucking effort. 
You know what I mean? He came out of his fucking chair. He's probably sitting there. He probably can barely move. But he got up on his fucking walking cane and walked out to meet me because he was so interested in what I was doing. You know what I mean? I thought that was beautiful. And he was like, my granddad, he said, was the last man to lift this stone, he said. And he got, he said, he got so much social status that he didn't have to buy a drink on the island for six weeks, he said. Every time he went to the bar, everyone was talking about him. You know, you lifted the stone onto the wall. And so, like, you know, it, it, it might be a simple thing, and some people might laugh at it in the simplicity, there, but I think it's beautiful, you know. It is. That you got this social credit from being able to do something difficult, you know. So yeah. it's, I think it's just beautiful to have that, these, these kind of tests that here now, you know, because... It just that doesn't happen in, in, in nowadays in day to day life. So it's one of your carrying to see. Like what an amazing thing for that man to see to make the effort to come and see you, knowing that that stone is part of his family history, and to see that exactly. that stone being refreshed through your efforts. Like that must have been incredibly rewarding for him. He he was delighted. I mean, he would be more delighted if I could get it onto the wall because I couldn't. I could just get it up to my knees. But um, I'm going back, you know, because like I said, because I'm coming from just in Jordan's background. I'm coming from being a 78 kg just machine to run and to, to lift yeah. uh, endurance-wise, to, to lift in one big heavy object. It's been quite the, the journey strength-wise over the past two years for me as well because it's not something I ever, ever done before. So I've had to put on back on a lot of weight that I'd lost, which was felt kind of weird. Um, but <laughs> you, you put it on like this. You know, girls haven't gone to waste though because now you stack them on top of the stones you're lifting to add weight. Oh, it's yeah, it's been such a tough journey, but it's been so rewarding. And please God, it will be more rewarding when I get over to that stone next week because I've been thinking about this stone for 16 months. You know, I've been thinking about it, thinking about it. I can't wait to get over it again. I get my hands on it, you know. Um, so hopefully, this will be a redemption time. I'm going to put everything I have into it anyway. So you're such a great hopefully. example of the sort of flexibility or like elasticity of human physiology that if you put yourself under a particular stress, your body will adapt in kind so you can manage that stress going from nothing to running to running marathons to kettlebells to stone lifting all within, you know, a dec less than a decade. Like it's uh, a decade. That's it. I say it to people as well, I mean, just put your mind to it, you know, and give it your fucking full ass. Don't half ass everything. Yeah. Get in there. Yeah. Get fucking, get into it, you know, yeah. and stop asking questions. Just stop fucking pissing and moaning and <laughs> just get out and lift the fucking thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know. And if you can't do it, go back and fucking try it again tomorrow. But just get out and get active and get doing it because don't be thinking about it and stop talking about it. Just get out and fucking do it. And you'd be amazed how much you figure out yourself. Of course, you need to get a coach, get a coach that can help you at the start. But I found with me, it was like, once you get out and you start doing it, you start figuring out shit yourself, yeah. you know? You see what your weaknesses are, make them stronger. It's been it's been a really cool two years. You know, it has. It's going from, going from like, my cardio has gone down a bit, obviously, because my cardio was really fucking high. But, I mean, my strength and mobility has gone way up. So, it's been, yeah, it's been a really interesting, like, kind of, you know, journey on, you know, on, your, on your body and how it can react to stimulus, you know? Yeah. And what you're saying about changing, like, that's the beauty of stone lifting. That stone's not changed. Have you? Have you changed enough to be able to lift that stone week over week? That test remains the same. Exactly, exactly. It's, the stone is still there. You know, it's, it's waiting for you, you know. And I love that. It's cut and dry. You're strong enough, you're not. That's it, you know. Yeah. There's no uh, there's no trophies for fucking competing in this thing. It's you're either strong enough or you're not. The stone doesn't care if you're a man, if you're a woman, whatever you are. You know what I mean? It doesn't care what your religion is. It doesn't care about your creed, your color. It just cares that can you lift it or not. You know, and that's what I love about it. It's so simple, but it's beautiful like that. It's something that's so neat because I come from a, a bit of a varied background and strength from powerlifting then to strongman then into stone lifting. I did some steel bending in there, but it's it's 
there's something unique about the stones, just like even removing it from the historical and cultural side of it, just as an aspect of training, you'd said, just go out and kind of tinker with it. And that's something you can, like there can be a stone. Um, my friend Troy, who's Beard and Boulder, I'm not sure if you follow him on Instagram. We just, yes. yeah, we've got another stone up for the Empton Stones of Strength. It's not named yet, but it's 393 pounds of smooth granite, that white and gray one. Yeah. And well, we, I didn't even know if it was liftable. And then him and I went down and we just, we tinkered with it for probably an hour and yeah. every handle, every angle, like it's just such a neat thing with the barbell. It's like, okay, I can, if I'm going to do a deadlift, I can play with my foot positioning, my width and all that kind of stuff. You do go in sumo, you go conventionally, you want to do a snatch grip. Sure. But with the stone, you can spend forever just finding the exact right handles for you. And it's just such a neat thing. And then all of that time you you put into that object, you build a connection with it. And, and each stone, like at our one of our sites, we have, I think, close to, excuse me, 16 to 20 stones. But every stone to us now kind of has a story because we've all lifted it one way or a person the other way. And it's just, you build a little bit of a connection with an object that you don't quite see with a barbell or, or I'm sure a little bit with a kettlebell, but not quite as much as a stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's like I said. You, you, you know, it's a really really good way of putting it, lads. Yeah, that, that, that was that was cool. And yeah, I, like I was taught with like, the thinking man's lift, you know, because you have to figure it out. You know, that there's a way it, it wants to be lifted, yeah. and you've got to figure that out yourself. You know, it's, like I said, there's so many different angles, so many different you know centers of gravity on it. You have to figure out where you can get the best grip on it, what way you can stand it. Yeah, it's it's just it's so. Do you want to say it's so much fun? And like once once you get that lift, it's it, there's, it's a hard to explain the feeling of it, especially something you haven't lifted before. It's practically spiritual, I find it anyway. You know, it's yeah. you know I found a stone down at the beach there last week, um, this huge big monster of a one seventy kilo tombstone almost, and I got a lift on that. And like I said, you get almost get a connection with it. You can't wait to go back out and try it again. You know, so I'm go back out tomorrow to get a lift on this thing again. And, yeah, it's 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 awesome. It's what a great way of training. Like I'm only pity I didn't do it ten years ago because I'm I'm forty four now in two days time. So we look, but we keep going as long as we can. It's it's astounding to me too because it is such an incredible physical pursuit and creates such amazing functional strength. And you were able to ascend to the you know to the absolute pinnacle of kettlebell sports, which is also so functional strength based, without any awareness of this whole world of stone lifting. It's amazing. Yeah. It's not more well known because it is such an incredible, you know, incredible way to build just full body strength. It's it's incredible. It's it's an it's an incredible way of, of training. You know, and it's like you said, it's probably the most functional thing you do as a human. You pick something up off the ground. You know, whether it's your kids or your shopping or suitcases or whatever. It's it's just that functional movement, and to get strong in that, it, it you know you're you're free. You're walking around. You, you, you're strong, you know you're strong. You know if you're going to pick something up or somebody needs a hand with something, you can do it. You know what I mean? Moving house, they're thinking, oh, fuck off, I'm sick of them. <laughs> but, you know, like, I mean, in, like I work in a builder's provider, so I mean, like, you're picking up bags of coal, you're picking up bags of cement, you're picking up bags of timber. You know, you're not worried because, you know, I'm picking up something fucking four times heavier than that for, for shits and giggles. You know what I mean? So picking up that kind of stuff off the ground, there's no problem. You know, it's, it's great, like I said, functional strength. There's a, to sort of circle back, there's one, one stone I'd be remiss not to discuss because we were talking about the flag of Den and sort of the historical and the mythical aspect of it. You know, I, I, I said, in, I think in the first podcast, that, yeah, I've used stone lifting, the historical stones as the confluence between mythology, history and strength sports. And the stone for me 
that sits right in the center of those three things is the cloud hundra. That stone oh. captivated me. Just the story behind it. The setting is absolutely picturesque. If you were to tell me that that was CGI, I would believe you because it was just, it's remarkable that what looked to be handprints in the stone, like that stone is just amazing. I mean, I couldn't believe if you look up Dukas and anybody in the whole world, there's a little bit, get into Dukas and just type in stone, right? But if you type in giant or giants in the Dukas, you might get a thousand references to giants throwing stones all around Ireland because every glacial or attic or large boulder sitting by itself in a field or on a hill has been, through Irish mythology, thrown by a giant. Mm -hmm. So there's hundreds of these in Ireland. They're everywhere. Every county in Ireland and every village has a giant throwing stone in it. You know, which I just think is awesome. Anyway, yeah. you see, that's fantastic. Like, you know, they're great stories, and like most of them are thrown by Fiona Cool. <laughs> if Fiona Cool threw all of them, all he's about done his whole life is wander around Ireland just bucking stones up. Now <laughs> they're they're all there. You know, so I was I was visited. I visited about twenty to maybe thirty of these sites, and the reason they're called giant throwing stones is they're absolutely huge. You know, I mean, huge as in like the size of the room I'm sitting in now. You know, you're talking something could be sixty tons. Or it could be like a hundred tons, or the size of like a an, an Arctic fucking truck. And some of them, then like the smaller ones, even the smaller ones, you look at them going like, that's probably like eight hundred kilos, you know. But I love about all of them is like they say the giant's hand marks are in the stone, and there's all these kind of paw marks and thumb prints yeah. and stuff in all of these stones. You're like, what a cool story, you know. So it's like, imagine if there was a giant's throwing stone that was also a lifting stone. But I said, the, the, the chances are very, very slim, you know. But I just kept researching. Like, I spent probably eight months every day researching at Dukas. And all of a sudden, I heard about this woman called the Clockundra, Clockundara, up in County Mayo. And the story goes that the, the giant in the area picked up this stone. He threw it around like a pebble because he was so strong. He used to throw it over his shoulder. And said, that giant's throwing stone is still there. And they said, the men in the area used to test themselves to see where they are strong as an Irish giant. So it's like, that's possibly the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, like there's a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too, yeah. <laughs> yes. There's a giant fucking a stone that a giant used to chuck around a couple of thousand years ago. The marks of his hands where he squeezed it like it was like maul or soft clay is there in it. And the stone is still there. And the Irishmen used to test themselves to see where they are strong as the giant. So like, I fucking have to go up to see this thing. So... I am. Um, I a friend of mine, Celine, lives up in up in County Mayo. So I'm not. I'm not going to drive up five and a half hours just to see if it's there. I'll ask someone first, just just to see, you know. So Celine went down. She only lives fifteen minutes away. She went down and said, "Yeah, the stone is there. It's in the middle of the green, but it's sitting on four stone legs. I think it might be cemented into." I was like, "Shit, you know. Imagine if, if it was cemented in. It's very awful, you know, because I've gone to some stones, some of these beautiful Boulogne stones." And they've been cemented into church walls or under windowsills, and you can't, you can't lift them. You know, there were lifting stones, and they still are, but you can't get them because they're cemented. So I rang up the, the town councils, and they said, "No, it's it's just sitting on the legs. We're kind of using it as a seat." So it's like, right, I'm going. So I mean, I rang them on the Wednesday, and that Saturday I got up at like four o'clock in the morning. It was my first day off since they phoned me, and uh, I, I drove all the way up to Mayo, and I drove into. Um, it's a Aukagawar village, and it's like something from driving into the Middle Ages in Ireland. You know, you have like this this perfectly intact round tower, the spire round tower, old room cathedrals. You have like a St. Patrick's well where St. Patrick was meant to have lived and said mass. 
You know, you have this stone bridges and rivers, old thatched pubs. I'm like, this is like the most fucking beautiful place I've ever seen. And there, as you drive in on the village green, is this big fucking stone sitting on these four stone legs. And you can go and lift it. You know, it's there. And you walk up to it and you can see the hand marks on the stone. It's by a wall. Behind the wall, there's all these like old Celtic crosses. As I was there, the sun was coming up, this pink sky. I'm like, this doesn't look real. It's like I've stepped into an alternate fucking reality. Yeah. And they think quintessential Irish fucking thing. It's it, here I am, you know. But that stone is there, it's available to lift. And again, that was one of my first finds, so I wasn't strong enough or I haven't trained that kind of lift before because it's a hug lift, you know, it's, it's like it's it's a big almost like a big loaf of bread, you, yeah. you know. You can't you'd have to be about maybe like six six to be able to kind of straddle it and pick it like a normal pick, you know. Yeah. It's just so broad. But um for us normal guys, you, you know, you flip it up and hug it, they're all gonna squeeze it like the Bjornov stack, that mm-hmm. kind of a lift. So I can't wait to get back up and try that one again as well. I got a lot of unfinished business with these stones. Um, I've had to put a lot of hard work into it, but the Klokandara, because it's the bridge between fucking mythology and reality, it's there. It's That's the fucking physical bridge between Irish mythology, giants, and the giant's name, I think, was Donald Dural Gwilda. And the giant used to throw that stone, and like, that's a great story, but there it fucking is. Yeah. And you can go lift it, you know? It's just absolutely magic. It is. It's magic. I mean, I can't wait to get back up to it again, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I traveled around a little bit of England prior to our Scottish stone lifting tour last year. And having seen the Avebury standing stone circle, that is multiple hundreds of megalithic standing stones over like a kilometer plus expanse. Mm-hmm. The thought of giants having been real at some point really <laughs> did creep in. Because I don't know how people had done that without the use of modern technology, moving these gigantic stones for some of them, you know, they're 20 feet tall and half of them is buried underground. Like, it's just amazing. That's amazing. I mean, like, like as you got all the dolmens here as well. I mean, I was, only, I was at a dolmen there um, just three days ago. There's one called the Gallstown Dolmen. And, like, the capstone is, like, 40 tons weight. You know, and it's sitting on knife-edge stones. Like, you know, sort of sitting on the top of these knife-edge stones. Yeah. And there's three stones, one, two, and one at the back. And this stone is just precariously balanced on top. But I mean, it's like it's like forty fucking ton, yeah. You know, and it's just it's still standing, and like they're saying, this stone is like four thousand to five thousand years old. You know what I mean? And it's still fucking there, you know, and it's still perfectly intact, and they're all over. I mean, there's twelve w- within a half hour drive of me, you know, and there's hundreds of them around Ireland. Like you said, how in the name of God would you go about even making that? You know, we can't even make roads in Canada that last more than one winter. So <laughs> that is true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, lads, yeah, it's just awesome. I mean, you got to get your asses over here, lads. You got to come over. Yeah. Get the fuck over that here at some fun. stage. I meet you. Yeah. We go for a few drinks. We lift a few big rocks. Sounds like a plan to me. Yeah. Oh, it, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. We think we might we might do Iceland next year. Um, but then I would imagine that that would be the next trip for sure because it would be awesome. Awesome. Oh, yeah. That's, look, it's, like I said, it's been some adventure. It's just been amazing, you know, and there's still more to find. I'm still in the middle of it. You know, I mean, to, to go from from nothing, you know, to one to nine and now to, to two dozen, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I have more leads. There's more to come. I'm sure there'll be more fantastic stones and stories. You know, there's been amazing ones already. I could talk about them all day. You know, like I said, every single one of them has its own history and mythology attached to it. And, um, I've leads for at least another three more up around Galway. Galway seems to be a real hotbed for it. Galway has has nine 
10 stones of its own, you know, in that one county. So it seems to be the place where it's it's still very, very popular, and very, very well respected. Because I find once you go from, if I haven't found anything like from middle of Ireland, east, I haven't found anything yet, you know. I suppose maybe because we kept more of our Gaelic roots over this way, you know, and we're probably further away from England over this way. Yeah. So it's harder to get to it and that the ground was worse. But I mean, I think we're more kind of normal and Viking as well down, down my end, when down the southeast um, in Waterford, which is like the old Viking fort was Badrafjord or so. It was an old Viking fjord. So I mean, we're kind of more Viking Norman this way, but we retained the Gaelicness from the middle across and it seems to be that's with the stones as well. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh no, I'm just mad. I'm just blown away by you, all this. You've created so much momentum with what you've been doing that now it sounds like people are reaching out to you to tell you about the stones. They're excited to share. You're not having to do as much digging like you you know they know to come to you to put these stones on the map. it's yeah i mean I, I, it's it's self-generating now like which is great because i mean you get to the stage like where you do exhaust the um the references online like i think i pretty much have exhausted most of the ones on ducas that are available you know and um, i've got maybe three or four maybe leads which again to the real kind of maybes now mm-hmm. you know and very very loose generic places where they are but um, what's happening now is there's a great guy called Sean O'Costalba, who's um, an Irish kind of Shanachie, which would be a storyteller, um, a, like a folklorist and a poet. And he lives up in Galway and he is fully invested in this. He just thinks this is fantastic. Um, he's all about Irish, you know, keeping Irish traditions alive. So he's he knows pretty much fucking everybody in Galway. I mean, I went up with him there last weekend and he's just pulling up to people's houses, knocking the door, walking in and everybody knows him, you know. It's strange. I mean, if you don't in Waterford, they, they, you could get a fucking belt of a hurley, like. But he, he just walks into people's houses and it's like, oh, how are you, Sean? And uh, <laughs> oh, your sister is up from Waterford. He's looking for the stone. Oh, Jesus, I heard about that, yeah. Or, or you know, go up to this lad. He'll tell you about it. But Sean has contacted me now about. I think there's five stones. He's con- the last five stones have been almost all through him, you know. And it's not just Sean. Connor Heffernan now is all over it as well. He's he's looking really really hard. Uh, Johnny Dillon in the National Folklore Collection because. Maybe I didn't say this before. Like, there's a full other manuscript collection, which is probably about ten times larger than the the, the one from the kid the kids took. Like, it's called it, when that was like professional uh, folklorists went around Ireland and asked everybody all these stories. But there's this huge manuscript collection that hasn't been put online. It's just up in up in uh, up in Dublin. So I mean, that's another thing I can I can I can start poking at that, um, because there's so much in that. Like there's ten times more than in the the, the school's collection one. So I mean there could be hundreds in that as well, you know. But like I've guys helping, there's guys counting in now, and like I'm thinking there could be fucking hundreds over here. I'm at this stage, I'm thinking like I'm at two dozen. I've put in like a year and a half of work, you know. I mean what's what's the next two or three years going to be like, you know? And because which is incredible, I'm getting all this this publicity now. You know what I mean? That I never ever thought would happen it's just it's gone from me being just a guy in the car with a fucking slash hook hacking through ditches finding these stones to all of a sudden you're being invited on all of these fucking top podcasts the national news and fucking tv stations are getting involved and fucking gq i got a phone call from last week yeah i'm like what the fuck is going on you know it's it's, it's like again it's this alternate reality that you just walk through a fucking portal and you're people are really interested in what you're doing but I think it's it's grab people because it's it's so root and branch, and it's so old school and primitive. And the fact that you, the whole cultural vibe about it as well, especially with Ireland and repression, I think it's striking a lot of chords. Like yeah. folklorists are into it, historians love it, archaeologists love it, strongmen love it, powerlifters love it. It fucking it ticks a lot of boxes. And 
all of a sudden it's becoming a thing and it's it's just amazing <laughs> you know it's it's hard to put into words what's happened in the last six weeks it's just it's been fucking surreal you know passion is contagious regardless of what it's about and i mean you absolutely exude passion and are so and are so thank you for what you're doing you had said you sort of felt like you walked into alternative reality but you've kind of created that through your own hard work and your blood and your sweat equity so i mean as people sort of on the outside looking in it's been an incredible story to watch unfold and so thank you for sharing that with us oh that's you know it's 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 amazing it's amazing and thank you so much for the kind words um because yeah like i started off i was just the mad guy in the car you know, and everyone work. Well, they all know I'm out of this stage. You know, <laughs> but now it's yeah, it's 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 taken on a whole cultural identity, and the resurgence of Irish stonelifting is 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 going to be big. It's going to be awesome. And if if, if I want to do it, we'd fuck with the enemy. Oh, we certainly have. It's already getting it's already getting huge. Like you said, all the people go <laughs> to you. So, congratulations on all your hard work, and I mean, you're getting the attention you deserve from it. I know you don't do it for attention; you do it for the love of it, but. You're getting exactly. proper kudos because of what you're doing. So people clearly are latching on to it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's always nice to get a little bit of a bit of thank you, especially for something that you're doing. You know, you, you know, it's not something that really, you know, I, I needed to hear, but it's always wonderful to, to get a little bit of, you know, to get your flowers and someone to say, look, thanks for putting in the effort, you know. So, but I said, it's not just for me, it's for the whole culture, it's for, it's for, it's for our heritage, our history and our folklore and to keep it alive because... You know, like I said, in this current day and age, we're losing a lot. So just to keep that stuff alive is, is very, very special. That was the first communication you and I had. I had sort of sat and watched your story unfold. I said, I have to reach out. As sappy as it must, might, might sound, I had to just reach out to you and say, like, what you're doing is amazing. Thank you for doing it. You're preserving history. You're sharing with the rest of the world. And it's, it's pretty important. And, and I, I think as members of a fairly small niche community, I think it's important that we do that for each other. Because the rising tide lifts all ships. And we're sort of our own, yes. you know, the Stonelifting community, we, we are each other's support network. And the more that we push to uncover new stones, push each other for physical challenges, bring awareness to Stonelifting culture and the importance of preserving historical stones, I think, uh, you know, that agenda just gets pushed far more when there's a, a collective of people behind it than individuals. So. Exactly. Like we're um, in our, our Caleb, we're stronger together, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. So I think before we uh, wrap this up, let us know what's going on in the next couple of weeks. You got a you got a, a big uh, a big month ahead of you. Yeah, I mean it's awesome. So like we got Sean coming over next Wednesday, and I'm meeting him for four days. We're going to do the Aran Island stones. We're going to do the Inish Moor stone. We're going over to Inish Boffin. We're going to do that beautiful circular Ballon stone to lift onto the uh, the altar over there in the Arun Monastery of Inish Boffin. Um, we're going to do all the West Galway stones and then we're coming down here for, for three days to do um, the Thomas Donergan stone and all the ones around the southeast. We're going to come out and do lift the stones on the beach that I lift. I'm going to show them around some awesome dolmens and some her- history and stuff. It's just it's going to be a great couple of days. Um, like I said, GQ have done that piece, which is going to be put into their next magazine. Like I mean, that's worldwide. I mean, that's worldwide. That's unbelievable i still i still can't believe it until i see the fucking physical thing i won't believe it's happening you know i'm not even telling anybody really yet but i've just told everybody now but i mean <laughs> i like i still can't don't quite believe it until i see it so, i mean like that's got worldwide reach so like what the hell is going to happen next i'm not sure but um a really big one as well as i have um, i'm organizing a stone tour on the 8th of july so jamie garion is coming over and we're going to do again the west galway stones we're going to go up and do try and do the flag again and this guy's coming from all over Ireland. Uh, so my Iron Strong men are coming to the island on July the 8th. 
And then in August, I have a, the end of August, the last weekend in August 26th, 27th, we have the O'Flaherty Festival on Inchmore. So myself and Dr. Conor Heffern have been asked over to do a, a um, read the story of the stone down by the actual stone itself by the O'Flaherty Festival. So that'd be Liam O'Flaherty oh, wow. and his relations. Cool. So we're going over, like talk about a full circle moment. We're going over to read that story of the stone and I, we're going to try and get a couple of lifts on it as well. Um, we have I've Ireland's eminent strength historian, a guy called um, Paul, Dr. Paul Rouse. He's coming over doing a talk on it. Dr. Conor Heffern is going to be doing a talk on it. I'll be doing a talk on it. We'll be doing some lifting. And um, it's just going to be a really, really awesome day. You know, it's it's the first stone is very, very important to me. And to get this kind of, this invite from the O'Flaherty family, because I mean, some, some of Liam O'Flaherty's relations or you know, great, great grandkids will probably be there. You know, so how awesome is that? You know, that's that's just incredible. Um, so that's on the uh, the um, the end of August. So yeah, a really really interesting couple of months coming up. With that. That's really really interesting. Well, looking forward to hearing about all that. Would yeah. we hope that we can have you on another time and hear about all the new stones and all the experiences you've had. I would love to, lads. I really enjoyed the chat. I mean, like I talk on, I, I mean, it's, it's not often you get to meet people who are into the same kind of stuff. You know, like I said, we're a small niche community. So I'd see you in chat here with a couple of beers with you all night long. So thank you so much for having me on. It's been a real honour, lads. I really really appreciate it. And um, thanks for helping me get my stories out there. David, go on Indiana Stones. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be so kind as to leave the show a review and then follow us over on Instagram at stonesofstrength underscore podcast.